Today's reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what I'll do, so that when I'm dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, Summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of the Lord. Has anybody told you today that you're the beloved of God? Ah, you are. Beloved sons and beloved daughters. So this wonderful text that Brian read and that I've been reading all week, I came up with about five sermons for it. And I'm not going to preach one of them. It says you can't serve God and mammon, which is an idol of wealth. I know a lot of Christians that say, but we're sure going to try. (laughs) But, you know, it's, if it's of God, choose it. If it's not of God, don't choose it. Choose God. Choose relationship. Choose love. Jesus spoke more about economics and money than he did about prayer. But I'm going to preach today on something a little less controversial than money. Politics. So the scripture, the four lectionary texts today, the one is, uh, the epistle lesson is from Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul was mentoring Timothy and young Christians in Ephesus. Uh, The context of Ephesus was that they had numerous 
monuments and buildings dedicated to emperors, plural. And he wrote something to them that may help us navigate these waters of this political cycle. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes, the first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how for everyone you know. Pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well so that we can be quietly about our business of living simply in humble contemplation. This is the way our Savior God wants us to live. So just to back up the context of this, Christians in the first three centuries, the first 300 years of Christianity, no one served in the military. No Christians served in the military. There was a, a, a great divide between the emperor and Christians, between what it was to follow Jesus and what it was to be part of the the system of empire. There was a very clear delineation. And so the early church struggled with what do we do? How do we interact? How do we relate to all of these people who are governing us and governing the system? Uh, and so Paul writes something really quite radical. It's amazing that I, I imagine this was read with hushed tones as if the early church said, listen to this. Listen to what Paul has to say. He says, pray for the king. Now, that's quite illegal at that time. At the time, the king wanted the people to pray to the king because the, the emperor, the Caesar, was considered a son of God. And all good subjects would pray to Caesar. And here's Paul saying, pray for him. That's downright seditious. That's treason. And Paul is saying to the early church, pray for him. Not for his agenda, not for his political platform, not for his power, but pray for him. And all in authority not for their sake, but for the sake of the greater community. I go on, he says, pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well, so we can be quietly about our business of simply living in humble contemplation. Do you hear how Paul is saying, pray for these leaders so that the common good of all people can benefit? and God's desire for all people can grow. It's not for the king's agenda, it's for the common good. So this points us to some of the great traditions of the Hebrew scriptures in the prophets. One of the great prophets was Micah, who wrote in, in Micah 6, 8, What does the Lord require of you but to seek justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God? And so those are thousands of years old hallmarks, benchmarks to measure by what we hope our political leaders can espouse. 
those who seek justice. Justice is a word for what love looks like in public, what love and compassion looks like lived out in society, where the most vulnerable are cared for, where outsiders are treated with compassion and dignity, what love looks like in the public square. To seek justice, to love kindness, we want leaders who love kindness, and we want leaders who walk humbly with God. Have any of you seen Fiddler on the Roof recently? You have, really, Sally. Do you remember that line where someone asks the rabbi, says, is there a blessing for the czar? You remember this? You know where I'm going, Nancy? And, and the rabbi says, well, of course there's a blessing for the czar. May the Lord bless him and keep him far away from us. It's a great line. Sometimes we pray for our religious, our, our, well, sometimes we pray for our religious and our political leaders with that kind of prayer. Bless them and keep them far away from us. I had a congregation that I once served, a friend of mine who was a fierce Republican, he would write prayer requests very often for the President of the United States when the President was Republican. When the President was Democrat, I never got any prayer requests for the President. And I thought, you know, that's kind of where we are as a society, that we pray for those we like, we don't pray for those we don't like. We're a very divided nation, are we not? Here, here's something to consider as we are all stressed. I know some of you have come to me and said, I, I don't even know what to do when my family member is voting for this person or my loved one is voting for that person. We, we can't even talk at the dinner table. Or people have shared with me, how do we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ when, when they're voting for Hillary or they're voting for Donald? We're in this conundrum. We're in this struggle. But this is an opportunity. Not only are we struggling with this, but our whole society is. Every political cycle, the fabric that weaves us and holds us together is stretched and stressed and tested. And we in the church, the fabric that holds our community together is also tested because we don't all agree politically, but we're all trying to follow Jesus together. Friends, this is an opportunity for us. Wouldn't it be great when people drive by on Main Street and they point to our church and they say, oh, that church has really learned how to follow Jesus together as Republicans and Democrats. They love each other. I don't understand how they do it. Wouldn't that be a great reputation? That congregation, those Methodists, they figured out something where they have learned how to cut each other some slack about politics, but they are committed to following Jesus together. This may be an opportunity for us to witness to the fact that our politics are important and we can feel passionately about them, but we have a higher calling, and that is to serve God to represent Jesus in the mix of our 
tensions. I read recently uh, that the early Methodists were struggling with this too. Apparently at class meetings, they, they said uh, to John Wesley, we, we need you to come and advise us because we're, we're fighting with each other over politics. So in his journal on October 6, 1774, John Wesley wrote this. I met with those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election and advised them, one, to vote without fee or reward for the person they judged most worthy. Two, to speak no evil of the person they voted against. Three, to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. I don't even know who was running for office in 1774. It's no longer a big issue, is it? We've survived that election, and we'll survive this election. But these are good things for us as people who want to follow Jesus together to take heart with. These may help us to be fervent, active in the political process, but not overcome with anger, which is a risk. What we may need to do is what Paul recommended to Timothy and the early church in Ephesus, pray for everyone. Now, I'm about to say something that's going to make me unpopular with everyone in this building. This is equally difficult for Republicans and Democrats. Can you think of someone in your mind who's voting, who's going to cancel out your vote? Can you think of them? Maybe they're in your family, maybe they're an uncle or an aunt, or maybe they're a neighbor that's got a sign up on their front lawn, and they're going to cancel out your vote. Can you think of them? Now, you ready to try something risky? Make a commitment to pray for them. Make a commitment to pray for them. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go even further. Make a commitment to pray for their candidate. Oh, I know, it's hard, isn't it? Pray for the person who's going to cancel out your vote and pray for their candidate, not their agenda, not their political platform. Pray for them as a human being who's struggling. Pray for them who probably have been so wounded and they haven't worked through their wounds, so they're just lashing out and wounding others. This is what we're seeing happen in our politics. Pray for their well-being. Not that they win. Pray for their heart, their soul, their relationships, their connection with the divine. And then pray for ourselves that we might remain in the flow of love, which is where God can really work no matter what our party is, no matter who we're voting for, no matter who wins the election, 
God needs us to be rooted in the love of Christ. Otherwise, we're not in the flow. And God can't work through us as well as when we're in the flow of love, when we're in the flow of Christ himself. May it be so for you and for me and for our neighbors with whatever placards they have on their front lawn. Amen.